Do you know who wrote that song? His name was Bill Withers, and he wrote it a long time ago. And it really is a great song to present today's message and the truth that we want to extend as we commission 13 Stephen ministers. Now, we're going to explain what that is. We're going to explain what commissioning is. We're going to explain the ministry. Um, There will be a time of, of questioning within the process. But today, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Bill Withers, as you find Romans 12, let me tell you about Bill Withers. Withers was born 4th of July, 1938, and he was the youngest of six children. He spent nine years in the Navy, and in that time, he went to speech therapy trying to overcome a stuttering problem. When he got out of the Navy after his release, he, he wrote songs as he delivered milk, worked at, a Ford Motor, at the Ford Motor Company, and then worked for IBM. In 1967, he moved to L.A., and he worked for $3.50 an hour at Lockheed Aircraft, Air, uh, Aircraft Company and spent $2,500 on demos because nobody would record this African-American songs. He was making toilet seats of a Boeing 747 in 1970 when he was introduced to Booker T. Jones, Booker T. and the MCs, MGs. His first album, Ain't No Sunshine, peaked at number three in the U.S. and won a Grammy for the best rhythm and blues song of 1972. Sussex Records released his second LP, Steel Bill, from which he had the two biggest hits of his career, the one you just heard, Lean On Me. He says at one point that this was a spiritually connected, founded song. This verse from Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 is the foundation verse for Stephen's ministry, as well as that song. It's on the screen here. Say it out loud with me. Go to the next slide. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. This is what we're called to do, commanded to do. Fulfilling the dynamic of what Jesus is, is wanting us to be is by loving other people enough to carry their burdens. This is not saying that you are to put up with one another that's not merely what this is saying, that they put a burden on me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to deal with the burden you put on me. No, it's that I go into your life, find the places of your struggle, meet you on your road of suffering, make a sacrifice in order to meet you where you suffer, and then carry your burdens with you, that this fulfills the law of Christ. Withers, in the, his description of the inspiration for the song, Lean On Me, writes these words. When I was in the Navy, I must have been around 18 or 19 years old, and I was stationed in Pensacola, Florida. It was a holiday, and I had this car that I was able to buy, and I was, I was driving to West Virginia, and as is the case with young people and cheap cars, the tires weren't that great, so one of the tires blew out on a rural Alabama road. This is early 1960s. Alabama was the center of the civil rights conflict in the day. And this guy comes walking over the hill, looking like he walked right out of the movie Deliverance, right? He says to me, oh, you had a blowout. Well, I didn't have a spare tire. And this guy just looks at me and turns around and starts walking back across and up the hill. So he says, I'm not too comfortable here because I know where I am. He comes back walking with a tire and he actually helps me put the tire on my car. And that impressed me to write the song. 
Now, this is a good day to talk about this in a day and age where really our church has been in the rhythm of, of stepping up to the plate and defending the faith. We just, we just spent the last nine weeks looking at a series called Explore God, looking at answers to questions that people ask, um, having a defense, a ready answer for questions that people ask about faith is called apologetics. And the ultimate apologetics is Galatians 6.2, Right? They, how, how do they say it? We've, you've heard it said a trillion times. They don't know how much you, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so before you can get a chance to answer their question, oftentimes you have to, to provide care, provide love in this way. First um, Peter 3.15 says, but sanctif- sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you but yet do it with gentleness and reverence. So whether the last eight weeks you would consider yourself or you have a friend who is a seeker, or today you're looking at your own life and you're seeing the suffering and the struggle in your own life, so whether it's seeking or struggling, the ultimate apologetic begins with care and with love. And so we're gonna talk about that today. Gonna answer two questions about Stephen ministry um, in this caring for others why should we care and how should we care? Why to care, how to care. And we're going to do that through Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans 12 is in many ways the other side of the hill of this book. 16 chapters in Romans. Um, you really get to the summit, the peak at about Romans chapter 8, where after all that he said, really no imperatives, no commands in Romans till about chapter 6, Right? About chapter six, you begin to see some commands. The rest of it is fact and fact and fact. And it is about the mercy of God. And so chapter 12, verse one, he says, in view of the mercies of God, having seen 11 chapters of what God has done in your life, having seen the good news about how Jesus has rescued you, right, from this dynamic of sin and death and this condemnation, he has rescued you. Now here's how you're to respond. Christianity is a revelatory faith in which we receive from him and we respond in in how we love others. So it is in view of the mercies of God, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Because Jesus sacrificed himself, you don't have to sacrifice yourself for sin. You sacrifice yourself as a living sacrifice, as a way of worship for what he's already done. Again, what are the mercies of God? That if you are here today and if you call yourself a follower of Christ, the Bible teaches, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So if you're in Jesus today, the mercy of God is that there's no condemnation in your life. God is not against you. He's for you. On top of that, he has set you free, Romans chapter 8, verse 2, that the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And on through to chapter 12, then we begin to really see the implications. If the good news of Jesus were a rock, it has been thrown into the pool of your life, the, the pool of your life, and it creates ripples. Another image is if, the, if what Jesus has done as the fountain of faith, what Jesus has done in his mercies were a fountain, it would flow through to certain parts of your life. And in chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, It creates that ripple effect. The fountain flows, the the rock and its ripples flow out. 
And he first says it ought to affect your relationship with the church. It ought to affect your relationship with those outside the church. It ought to affect your relationship to uh, your government. It ought to affect your relationship to your enemies. And it just keeps going and going. Ultimately, it affects how we view the world in missions. And that's at the end of Romans. But here in chapter 12, really we're going to start in verse 9. He begins to say how the good news of Jesus ought to affect your relationships. And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, when it comes to your relationships, you ought to love with a deep sympathy to the people around you. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start there. Why should I care? Look at verse 9. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Do you see the triad there? It's three things, right? Let love be without hypocrisy, be sincere. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. You could connect the last two parts of that verse with the first and say that the last two explain the first part. What does it mean to love without hypocrisy, right? What does it mean to love sincerely? Well, it it means, right, the rest of verse 9, abhorring what is evil, clinging to what is good. Against a world that says that to really love, you've got to ignore all evil and not speak up about what is bad and just love, love, love. Here's a text that goes to the very nature of God, that if somebody says they love you, they hate what hurts you. See, love and wrath, they go together. If I say I love you and don't do anything about the things that are hurting you, I don't really love you. So what does it mean to have a sincere love? It means that you say this is right and that is wrong, and I want to be a part of what you're going through. Okay, in the Latin word sincere, we get an image by really the latter couple of centuries after this is written, we see this, this phrase come to be used in the market, sincere, which means without wax. It's a great picture. In the markets, they would try to peddle off broken, cracked pottery as something new. And the way they would do is they take something old with cracks, and they would take wax, and they would try to fill in the wax. And then they would say, hey, look, it's brand new. And it would easily, with the right eye and the right test, you could easily tell it wasn't new. They were lying. But markets began to promote the sincerity of the, of the quality by putting on the bottom of the jar of the pot of the pan, they would stamp sincere, meaning without wax. This has not been cheapened. This has not been, uh, there's no mask here. And a Christian at the very front end of their faith has to lose their need to pretend. This cannot be a place on Sunday morning No matter here or throughout the week, as you are the church and as you function as the church, there's no place for pretense. you got to lose your need to pretend in order to begin to love the way that Jesus loves. So if you're answering the question, why care, I want you to write the word honesty. you got to be honest with God and with man and with yourself, where you are, where you are not. You gotta be honest with what God says. You gotta honestly know who he is, what he's called you to be, and then be honest with people and where they're at. You gotta love without hypocrisy. Great verse. All right, so next verse, verse 10. Now verse 10 and 11 and 12 have some bookends. You see what word is at the beginning of verse 10 and what word is at the end of verse 12? What's the word? Devoted. So if you're writing notes in your handout, another reason why we should care beyond the honesty of where we were at when we 
have been loved and we've been cared for and how God accepted me as is. He didn't tell me to get to a certain place. He received me as is and then he grew me and then I receive other people as is. That honesty with God and with others is, a, is the motivation to care. Honest with what he's already done. Honest that he's for us. Honest that he was for me and I need to be for you. But here is the second reason and that is devotion. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are to be devoted to what God is devoted to. What is God devoted to? People. If you love God, then you'll love the thing he loves, and he loves people. Whenever I meet a Christian who says, I'm just not a people person, or they say something, and they, I met a pastor uh, just recently, said, I, I love the church, I just can't stand the people. I wanted to wring his neck. I don't like that joke. That's silly. I know what we mean by it, right? We mean by it by people are hard, people are messy, people are, you know, they're, they're a struggle. But this is what we signed up for when you became a follower of Jesus. You became a Christian, a little Christ that goes to people and loves like Jesus loved. Now look at this. This is a lot. It's like a, like, oh, how many things here? Eight different things. Look at these eight things starting in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Eight things. Can I break these apart? I think the key is devotion, but let me, let me, let me walk through them. First in verse 10. Again, you're seeing triads, three things. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Divine love is to be exercised with other believers. The word here in Greek for devoted is philostorgoi. It's translated uh, really devotion, but it's a family devotion. You're devoted to the family. This is brotherly affection. It could be translated with brotherly love, have family affection for one another in honor, giving place to one another. In other words, considering, other, considering others better than yourselves. Sounds like Philippians 2. Treating others as more important than you. That's this first verse. Verse 11, right? The third clause here. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse 11, the key thought of verse 11 is the last clause, serving the Lord. How do you love somebody? Why should you love somebody? You're serving the Lord. What does it mean to be devoted? You're serving Jesus. And that is explained by the two other clauses, something negative, something positive. To serve Jesus means you are not lagging behind in diligence, not lagging, uh, not shrinking, not hesitating, not being lazy in your service of others. Next part, next phrase, being fervent in spirit. I love this Greek word, zeontis, used only here in an Acts of Apollos, used only twice in the whole Bible. Being fervent, it has the, they use it outside of Scripture as that of boiling water, boiling, boiling in the spirit. So what does it mean to be devoted? It means you're not lazy, not lagging behind, not doing it halfway. You are boiling over in your zeal in spiritual life. That's serving the Lord. So those two commands kind of balance each other out, negative and positive. Verse 12. Here's three more. Here's another triad. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. The three ex exhortations here in verse 12 can be under, either understood as independent clauses or as further additional descriptions of what it looks like to serve the Lord. 
I think it's that. I think they are connected to serving the Lord. What does it look like? What's further? I think Paul is kind of in a staccato kind of list here. He's saying this, is, he's going from one thought to the next. And he says, serving the Lord ought to be joyful in your hope, rejoicing in hope, because their hope in Christ is the basis for our rejoicing. Next phrase, in affliction, in distress, in, in trouble, in pressure, believers are to be patient. How do you serve the Lord? You go through hard times and you do it with patience or else you lose your chance to be a witness. Also, Christians, lastly, should be devoted in prayer to God for wisdom, guidance, and strength. So your devotion isn't just the course of your life, but that is the source of your life. So as a Stephen's minister, as a Christian who is learning to care deeper and farther and go longer with somebody, your prayer life is adamantly, incredibly, deeply connected to how you care. If I were to give the five steps of caring for somebody outside of this passage, I would say it's five things. It's pray, 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 and then go help. Because what they need from you is what God gives you to give to them. They need that more than anything else. Yes, there's a front door of a cold glass of water in Jesus' name, a, a, a warm shoulder, a shoulder to cry on, a, a warm home to to get a little respite from, uh, maybe a gift that helps them be cheered up, maybe an encouragement, maybe a clap, maybe a pat on the back. But what they need from you most when you care for somebody is they need the Lord to speak and to work through you. And so prayer is the connection there. Praying for wisdom, praying for guidance, praying for strength. All right, so that's the why to care. Why should I care? Because of honesty before God and who he is and what he's done and what he's telling you to do and then being devoted. Being honest with your love, knowing that where he found you is something so contagious about a group of people who have been loved by God and they have no idea why. But then they begin to learn why he loves you and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with his nature. And in honesty of that, they love with sincerity. They love without pretense. They lose their mask and they say, what somebody needs from me is me. And I can't be a conduit of love to flow through them unless I'm real and authentic. And so this culture of grace is a culture of authenticity, that I'm real. You know, and I would tell you, people in hard times can smell your inauthenticity a mile away. Right? Especially newer generations. You say, you say oh, I'm praying for you, and you're not. They can sense that. Man, I, my heart really hurts for you. Right? And you don't really believe that. You're not being honest. They can sense that. Devotion to God, they can sense that as well. Why are you doing it? Now, let's talk about how. This is an acrostic, a, an acronym, a, a, a thing to mnemonically remember this that I've, I've used and I've enjoyed, that when I think of caring, I start with charity. Write the word charity next to verse 13. How should I care? Start with charity. It's not fake. It's not artificial. It's a great place to start. Look at verse 13, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now here we have not a triad, we have a couplet, two things. He's gone from threes to twos now, right? And he says, generosity with your money, your time, your stuff, even your home is what it means to care. So if in doubt about how to care, invite them over to your house. If in doubt, buy them a dinner. If in doubt, give them a care package, all right? You've been around Baptist people for a while. If in doubt, bring them a meal, right? And this is, this is not artificial. This is powerful. The word here, 
koinonuntis means having in common, this word for contributing, this having in common, contributing to the needs of the saints. We share our lives, we share our hurts, we share our hopes. Love is hospitable. Original meaning of this word hospitable is, uh, literally means love of strangers. So it carries the idea of extending love to those who are different, maybe sojourners from another culture, maybe another race, maybe a different belief, and that you are uh, practicing, maybe a better phrase here is pursuing. You're pursuing it. The end of verse 13 is you are intentionally bringing people into your home. If you haven't had someone over your home in months and years, shame on you. That is not loving. People need to be brought into your home. It is a part of the Christian calling. It's a command as well as the culture of who we are. We are hospitable people. Other texts say, open your home to outsiders. Here, it's a common, lowest common denominator way we help is that we're charity. We have charity with our house. This paragraph contains six exhortations from verse 14 through 16. So the next paragraph, verses 14, 15, 16, has six exhortations that are gonna be stated positively and three that are gonna be stated negatively. So you get nine total in this section. The apostle is urging readers to invoke God's blessing. Here, the context becomes those who persecute you. Okay, so let's look at this. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. When it comes to caring for people who are hurting, there is a euphemism that is a rule of thumb that often, often is the truth, and that is that hurt people hurt people. If you are somebody who has been called in a dysfunctional family to help love hard, to pe- hard people to love, they're going to take pot shots at you. Hurt people will hurt you. It could be that it's just who they are. You know, it's, it's a fountain. If I have a fountain of bitterness and a fountain of dysfunctionality, what else can flow out of that fountain other than more dysfunctionality? It could be if you go in Jesus' name, and you try to care, care with somebody who's hurting, it could be that they're transferring their anger against God to you, right? It could be the cycle of bitterness. Their life and their hurts have made them bitter, and it's one of those irrationalities of bitterness that I think if I, if I shoot myself, the recoil of the gun's gonna hit you, right? And their bitterness tries to make you feel bad, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't make sense, but people try it. And so their bitterness might spill over onto you. When I've cared for people in pastoral care over the years, I have often been targeted back, right? I've often people tried to vent, yeah, that's okay, but vent and take it out on me. What's to be our attitude with that? Well, write the word acceptance. We accept them. We give grace to them when they lash out to us. Love reacts positively to persecution, We want to lash out. That's our natural inclination. Hurt people hurt people. But because of the mercies of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, in view of the mercies of God, we are living sacrifices before God. And that is right and that is worshipful, verse 1 says. And we no longer are conforming our minds to the ways of the world. We're being transformed. And one of the key ways God transforms you is to become a forgiving person. Now, think about that. You're called in Christ to become Christ-like. What is one of the key characteristics of Christ-likeness? Forgiveness. How do you learn forgiveness? If you're gonna grow in forgiveness, how do you learn it? 
Well, you see it modeled in Jesus, and then you have to experience it as you are hurt. And so life's full of hurts. But you as a Christian are called to be a forgiving person. And so you don't turn your curses into curses. You turn your curses into blessing. You don't return evil for evil, good for good. That's how most people live. The Christian lives on a higher level, returning good for evil. Of course, this requires love because our first inclination is to fight back. It also requires faith because we have to trust that God's going to settle the score. God's going to get even. God's going to accomplish his will. It also takes grace in the sense that God didn't get even with me. He took it to the cross and he nailed it to the cross. All the crud that I did, all the pain that I caused, all the hurt that was my habit, he took it to the cross. And so it takes faith and it takes grace. We must give room for God's wrath, the wrath of God is connected to love, and there has to be room for that of all these qualities of love that we're talking about here today. In my mind, this is the most difficult to carry out. The others we've talked about may, may fall by the wayside when we get busy or tired or absorbed, but we typically don't resist them. <laughs> Returning good for evil, we resist this. It goes against every natural instinct we possess. Especially if the offender is a fellow Christian. We say, you ought to know better. Right? But grace in our response is a unique quality of divine love. And the ability can only come through him and his enablement of us, enabling us to do this. Perhaps, this is why I thought of this text. Perhaps Paul is thinking of Stephen. Perhaps Paul is thinking of Jesus. They both modeled these words and responded to persecution, even persecution to death by praying for the, God's forgiveness for those who were persecuting him. Unbelievable, divine love. So here's the third point. Look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So what is this? This is you respond to their pain. Groaning with those who are hurting. You respond to people's pain. How do you care? You react to what they do. If you're in a small group Bible study and somebody tears up, you stop the Bible study and you engage that person who's hurting. You see somebody in the hall out here, if they're not talking to me and they're off by themselves and they're teared up, you go to them. You walk across a room and you respond. When somebody opens up and shares their heart with you, you don't look at them monotone and glass-faced and unsympathetic. You sympathize. And as you grow, you learn to empathize. You actually step into the muck with them, holding out one hand, holding on to Jesus, but stepping into the mud, right? It's sympathy, sympathy is where you begin. Actually, compassion is where you begin. That's the first stage. I feel your pain in my heart. Sympathy is then I begin to work with you and, and connect with you on a direct level. And then empathy is when you actually get in it with them. And that's scary. At that point, it's where a lot of people... Uh, without training, that's a lot of the training these Stevens ministers have been going through, is how to cry with somebody and feel their pain, but not take it home with them to the point where it makes them dysfunctional, right? This is something we were taught in seminary. It's something we equip you. If you want to be a Stephen minister here, we will equip you to do this. But in the process, <laughs> the point is you respond. Love empathizes with fellow believers, especially an enemy, True love never stands aloof. When, when 
Love knows that a brother or sister is rejoicing. It cannot contain the excitement. It just celebrates that. And with just as much empathy and passion, it grieves the loss of another as if it were its own. I love this old Swedish proverb. I want you to say it out loud with me. Worthy of a a sticky note on a mirror. Listen to this. Go to the next slide. Shared joy is double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. Say that out loud with me. Shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow is half a sorrow. So when you share with these Stephen's ministers trained to respond to you and to be and to be empathetic with you, it actually takes, and this is one of the dynamics of pain, it takes it and it halves it. When you celebrate what's going on in your life in your home group, your home Bible study, with your spiritual running partners, and you celebrate it, it actually doubles its joy. It's meant to be celebrated. And pain are meant to be shared. So here's the last point. Verse 16 is just as crucial as the others. Verse 16 reads this. It says, be of the same mind. In other words, have the attitude toward one another. In other words, you see the semicolon there? Punctuation is not in the original text. The interpreters here for the New American Standard are saying that's a complete thought. And I think they have it right. I think verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. I think he's talking about equality here. You treat each other equally. You group yourself with people of any position, right? You, you have the homeless person you're trying to love or you have the wealthy person you're trying to love. You have the low socioeconomic or the high. You have the person who, who is the have not or the, the one who's the haves. You have the person who's of the same color skin or not. Different culture, different style, different way of thinking, and you look at them equally. He says here, live in harmony with one another, having the same attitude. It's basic to empathizing them. This idea is presented just like the others in this verse, in a negative and a positive. Look at verse 16. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not be haughty in mind, all right? Do not think highly of yourselves. There's the negative. And be willing to associate with people of low position. There's the positive. And they're summarized with this last, as he defines equality, he summarizes it with this last phrase. Do not be wise in your own estimation. That's an attitude that makes sympathy completely untenable. Sympathy is impossible when you're haughty and you're prideful. Pride poisons love. And if you think as a Stevens minister that you're better than the people that you're helping, you will absolutely not be able to help them. And so grace leads to humility. Pride poisons love. If you're too proud to stoop, too proud to reach out, too proud to ask for help, too proud to be vulnerable. You cover your face with something pretty and put on a good show, pretend to care, keep all your relationships superficial, you will not be able to help anybody. That's why we start with honesty. That's why this whole morning started with losing your need to pretend and being authentic with God and with others. Pride sowed seeds of discord. The tendency to regard your one, yourself, as deserving preferential treatment is universal in its scope. The entire range of personal conflict from minor skirmishes in your family to large multinational wars comes from this idea of pride. That you think you're better than them and what they have you want and you deserve. So there you go. 
charity, acceptance, respond, equality. Stephen's ministers have a motto, and it's the title of today's message, and now we're moving into the commissioning side of this. The motto, and I want you to say it out loud with me, is Christ caring for people through people. Say that out loud. Christ caring for people through people. Say it again. Christ caring for people through people. This is how God works. This is how he's always worked. And this is how he wants to work in your life. He does things to you, to do things in you, to do things through you. And these Stephen's ministers have seen that dynamic and said, as a Christian should, I need to be discipled. I need to be trained. This church exists for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. It isn't my job to do it alone. My job is to equip you to do it. And these 13 have spent the better part of 50 hours or more, really more than that, reading and studying and learning and being taught. And they're coming here today for a commission. A commission, as you think through the uh, ways we use that, of course, we have the Great Commission where Jesus gives us our charge and he says, I release you to to act. I release you to do this, to make disciples who make disciples. All right? In the case of the Stephen's leader, minister, we are releasing you to act on the behalf of this church in our commission. In the military world, you are being, in your commissioning, you are being called into active duty. Either a warship or a soldier called into active duty, you are being commissioned. And that is a huge part of this. Um, Stephen, Acts chapter 6 and 7, was the first Christian martyr. Um, You know, this isn't what you signed up for necessarily. That's not why we call it Stephen ministry, right? We are not told anywhere to want uh, martyrdom as a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual gift you only get to exercise once. Uh, I always think of martyrdom and I think of Ruth uh, Graham, Ruth Bell at the time, later married Billy Graham, was as a little girl, she had a passion for martyrdom. She grew up in China where her parents were missionaries. And she used to pray every night that the Lord would let her be martyred by the end of the, end of the year. She wanted, she said in her prayers, I wanted bandits to capture me and behead me for Jesus' sake. She had a sister named Rosa who used to think, how horrible to pray that. And so every night Ruth prayed that way, Rosa would pray, Lord, don't listen to her prayers. <laughs> now, we are not called to want martyrdom. But the reason that we call this the Stephen ministry is not that Stephen was the first martyr, it's that he was the first named deacon in the list of Acts chapter 6. He was a man who was described uh, most consistently with the word full. Right? He was, his name means victor's crown, and his crown came by being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, Acts 6.3, full of power, Acts 6.8. Right? So full of faith, Acts, Acts 6.5. In Scripture, to be full of something, like Ephesians 5.18, to be full, filled with the Spirit, is to be controlled by. So Stephen is a man who was a man who was controlled by the Holy Spirit, controlled by his faith, and controlled by the power of God in his life, that what God had done in him, he wanted to do through him, and Stephen was controlled by that. He was a God-controlled man who yielded his life to the Holy Spirit, a man who sought to lead people to Jesus and to love and to care. In some respects, it is harder to live for Christ than to die for Christ because it's a daily thing. It's an intentional thing. 
I love Mother Teresa's words. She said, we are all pencils in the hand of a writing God who is sending love letters to the world. We are so self-centered. We try to live for Christ without dying to self first. And so God isn't able to write anything in our lives because our lives are too full of us. And so dying to self, living for Christ, this rhythm of the Christian life allows you to be a, a letter, a walking, living epistle. And that's what these men and women have been trained to be. Pious talk can take the place of helpfulness. And so my challenge to you is to check your pride at the door of what you're going through, to have charity, to have acceptance, right? To respond to people and to have equality, that you're no better than the people that you help. All right, so I want you to come and stand here in the front, facing out. And I'll ask uh, Jim Towers to come up to the stage. We're first going to address, just take two minutes and three minutes, I'll ask you some questions, Jim, about the ministry. Jim is one of three Stephen leaders, and these are Stephen ministers. And the third kind of thing you need to understand about the ministry is there's things called care receivers. Uh, so let, let's start there. Talk about the three titles, the three roles within the ministry, and then how they accomplish the actual ministry of Stephen, Stephen ministry. Great. Yeah, there are three of us that are Stephen leaders, and our role is to pretty much organize and train and develop, look for Stephen ministers, and also we're kind of the, the, the incoming funnel for care receivers, which I'll talk about in a second, but as, as folks come to us that, that need help, they come through us and we, we send them out to the Stephen ministers, these folks in front of you, and they're the ones that actually provide the one-on-one -on -one care, men with men, women with women, a confidential care to people who are hurting people who are going through a divorce, people who, people who have lost a job, people who just have junk in their life that they, they need somebody to walk with them, just all sorts of things. Uh, care receivers are you. They're you. They're people who are hurting. They're people in our neighborhood. Uh, so those are the three groups of, that are involved in this ministry. Okay, so a couple of clarifications that I thought were um, intuitive uh, at this point that makes the ministry so, so solid is it's one-on-one -on -one, and that's the only one. So if you get assigned, if you're going through something tough and you meet with Jim and he does triage on who the best person to connect with and if you're ready, you know, there's some things they're not trained to help, right? There's some things these, care, these caregivers, these Stephen ministers are not trained to help and that needs to go to Larry Walker, our professional counselor on staff, or somebody else. But in the process, it's you and them, and they don't have other people. It's one-on-one -on -one till that relationship's over. That's right. So, so what kinds of things? You, you mentioned divorce. You mentioned loss of life. You mentioned a few of those things. Give, give me some more. What are some of the things that they can help with? Lost a job. To? I lost my job. I lost, lost my spouse. Uh, there's a lot of losses um, other things. I've got, I've got a child. I'm not ready for this child. So, you know, how do I deal with a child? How do I deal with an empty nest? Um, you know, I've had children all my life and now they're gone. You know, how, how do I deal with that? Uh, and, and just how do I deal with life? There's just too much going on and I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, very good. Okay, so they've been equipped for those kinds of things. And this is who our church is, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You need to uh, request, and, and they will be seeking out as well people to work with, but they'll work one-on-one, -on -one and they're trained to help people. Um, talk to us about uh, 
just the, where Stephen's ministry came from. Just a real quick statement about where the ministry came from in the beginning. It started in 1974. Uh, a pastor at a church, young pastor, uh, had his PhD in clinical psychology, and he was overwhelmed with caregiving. So he decided to teach a couple people how to do this, some lay folks. You know, they're not counselors, they're not therapists, they're not mental health professionals. They're just lay people that know that have a heart of, of God to, uh, and, and just overflowing with grace for folks. He taught them, and one of them came to him and said, we ought to do this bigger and better. Yeah. So they spread it. It's now in 12,000 congregations wow. uh, across, across 30 <coughs> countries, and there's over 600,000 of these Stephen ministers that have been trained. Millions of people have been cared for with Stephen ministry. Wow. Excellent. So that's the ministry, and if you're interested in being trained, they'll be starting another training time in the spring of this next year if there is the, the, the need, the requirement uh, of that. If no one is wanting to be further trained, of course, they won't have it. But if there's, uh, I think, five, six, ten is kind of the limit of, of people that want to be trained, we'll go through another reiteration of the material. All right, so I'm going to ask the, the Stevens minister some questions. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to re reply uh, yes with God's help, okay? So here's the questions in this commissioning time. Um, number one, um, here we go. You have been comforted by God, Stephen's ministers, and he's been comforted you with the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. We now ask you to join in serving our Lord and those in our faith family and neighborhood who needs to be comforted. As the Lord Jesus responded to your needs, okay, and cared for you, we ask you to be responsive to the needs of others and care for them. As Jesus took the burdens of the world on his shoulders and has been a friend to you in troubled times, we ask you to be a friend to those who are burdened under the stress of daily life. As Jesus always patiently listens to you when you turn to him, we ask you to patiently be a listener in a hurried world. As the Holy Spirit has given you gifts for service, we ask you to use your skills, your talents, your gifts to help other people whom you serve and pray for. We ask you to help this family grow as a caring community of believers. As the Lord Jesus revealed his presence to you through faith, we ask you to share your personal experience of faith with those around you so that you too may celebrate their presence in the Christian life. Are you prepared to meet these requests we are asking of you? Amen. Are you prepared to nurture the skills that you have learned and use them in service to others to support, to encourage, to build up, to comfort people in their needs? All right. Church family, would you stand with us? Same answer. Different question. The answer is yes with God's help. But here's, here's the commission. It goes both ways. We're a family. We all have responsibility with this. We ask you, partners of our faith family, to open your hearts to this ministry, to the ministry of these people, and to pray for them, that they may be effective servants of Jesus Christ. Are you prepared to meet this request? Yes, God's help. Okay? Are you also willing to accept their ministry when you need help, to allow these individuals to work with you as you face struggles in your life, that you might receive support and help from your Christian brothers and sisters if you are prepared to meet this request, say yes with God's help. Yes, with God's help. All right, one last question to the Stevens ministers. You've heard what they've said. 
And this is basic to our church. Our church has a, a mantra. We say it often. You've been rescued to be a rescuer. You've been comforted to be a comforter. God wants to recycle your pain and turn it into a ministry. He wants to take your mess and turn it into a message. You've been transformed to be a transformer. And so I'm asking you as Stephen's leaders, are you ministers, are you prepared to serve as Stephen ministers of Beaumont's First Baptist Church? Yeah. Amen. If you are an ordained elder or deacon, could you come forward now and lay a hand on a shoulder? Spread out. I will say the ordaining prayer. This won't uh, be a, a long belabored thing, but I do want to acknowledge that in commissionings and ordinations and licensings, the Christian church for millennium has done what's called laying on of hands. This is an imputation thing, if you know what that word means. It is, I am identifying with you. There is a prayer here of transference even, that what I've learned, I'm passing the baton, and I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that you're taking a position of, of ministry. So as you lay hands on them, you are identifying with them. We have elders, we have deacons. Can you lay hands on, and let's pray a commissioning prayer. Father, these are men and women who, like First Timothy, have studied to show themselves approved, and we approve of them. They've worked hard. They haven't quit. They've, they've done the hard labor of equipping, and now they need not be ashamed of their calling. And Lord, there are others looking on who are already asking the question, maybe I need someone to walk with me. It might be a number of people here who have been discipled. Um, they've been spiritual running partners, but as we say often in those groups, they're not counseling appointments. They're training times, and they just need, they've been discipled, but they need more. They need a little bit more help in something they're going through, and they're already beginning to think about uh, applying to have somebody walk with them through something tough. And I pray uh, that, Lord, they would acknowledge that in their hearts and that these Stephen ministers would even now begin to be excited about who you would pair them up with. Lord, they are yours. I pray that they would be real and honest with who you are and who they are. I pray that they would be devoted to you. I pray that that would be their motivation and that they would care with charity, with acceptance, with response and sympathy and with equality, not seeing themselves better than the people they're helping, but seeing as themselves as one beggar sharing with other beggars where the food is. So help them hold tightly onto the rock that is Jesus so that they can get into the mud of people's situations and be able to help. And so we dedicate them to you and we commission them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen.